I mean, we're basically, we're seeing the death of the middle class, right? Globalization and software are basically replacing massive swath of Western society that used to be, you know, we used to call middle management. Hey, podcast listener, you're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the email marketing podcast or the autoresponder guy, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. It's John McIntyre here, the autoresponder guy. I'm here with Taylor Pearson. Now, uh, Taylor's a good friend of mine who I met uh, a couple of years ago. I think, uh, I'm not sure where we met. I think it was somewhere in uh, probably Thailand, maybe the Philippines. Do you remember? I think Bangkok. I think it was Bangkok two and a half years ago, end of 2012, end of 2013. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we met in Bangkok then. And uh, we've been basically, so we've both been working online, having, you know, built, you know, working on and building businesses over the last few years. And uh, where this gets interesting is this isn't, I mean, Taylor's not a copywriter or a, a marketer, really. He's, um, I, think, I think of Taylor as a philosopher, to be honest. Uh, but he, he's, a very, he's very much a thinker. And uh, what's been interesting is some of the conversations we've had around how businesses are changing and even just the change that's happened in the last few years and some of the patterns that we're seeing. So this is less about, you know, less about email marketing or you know, how to build a sales funnel and more about how the world's shifting right now. And if you, if you zoom out, because we often have, you know, we're terrible at seeing what's actually going on because we're living it day by day by day. But if you zoom out and you look at the overall trend over five years or 50 years or 500 years, it starts to, you can see some really interesting patterns going on right now with how the, the I go get the global economic landscape, how that's shifting and what that means for, for individuals right now who have jobs or who have businesses. So I think this is it would be a really interesting episode, quite a, quite different to uh, the usual episode. And uh, it's going to be useful to, you know, you might be a freelancer and, you know, you're just getting into business or you might even have a well-established business and uh, looking for more, you know, ways to expand or maybe you're considering starting a new business. So we'll get into some of this stuff in just a moment. Taylor, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for the introduction, John. Thanks for having, coming on the show. So Looking before, forward to it. Before we get into some of this, uh, the nitty gritty stuff, let's. Uh, can you give the listener a bit of a background on who you are and what you do? Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, we met in Bangkok two and a half years ago, and that was at a point where I had been working at a uh, digital marketing agency um, for about a year and a half before that. And I hooked up with the guys from Tropical MBA um, and I had come to work with them. I was managing the uh, online e-commerce stores. Um, they have a few e-commerce stores that do B2B hospitality equipment. And I was running that and living in Asia. Um, and that was kind of how we got to know each other. And I worked with them for a couple of years and then continued to work with e-commerce clients and um a lot of B2B stuff in terms of online marketing and conversions. But what I've been working on for the last six months is uh, I've been writing a book and you kind of alluded to it. So I'll, I'll let you start us off and we can kind of go with the, the first points of me giving the whole spiel now. Right, right. Well, tell me a bit about the book before we get into the, the you know, what it's actually, you know, we'll talk about the specific topics, but what's the book about? So the title of the book is The End of Jobs. And as you mentioned, like, I think it's very easy to get caught up in um, incremental gains like you kind of get in your own bubble and you're looking, you know, I was talking to someone um, last weekend and she's an accountant and she was kind of talking about like how, you know, this guy that's ahead of her in the company, like he's kind of struggling and he's a really nice guy, but if things don't work out, you know, like maybe she could um, 
jump up and take his job as like the next accounting manager. And I was like thinking in the back of my head, I was like, Oh my God, you're missing like the whole point. Like, no, like the opportunity is not this guy's accounting management job. It's like the internet and technology, Mm. um, and all these things that are going on. So, um, the book is kind of, as you said, it's a, a big picture look at what's going on in terms of getting some perspective. And then I think if you're already in sort of this internet and tech world, it's a why book as to why is everything happening like it is. And something you could hand, you know, I, a lot of ways I wrote this book because I, I wanted to have something to hand to people where they're like, why do you do what do you do? Um, how is this possible? Uh, and no one's ever really laid out that case. So laying out that case and then also some some paths for how you get into this stuff. Right, right. Well, one really good point that you brought up there is that the accountant, she's missing the, I guess, the gravity of the opportunity. And there's this issue here where the world's changing so fast. And we, you know, our brains evolved in this, you know, prehistoric age when nothing really changed. You know, over 100,000 years, nothing really happened. You know, we ate, you know, still chased animals, still had little tribal fights. We probably didn't even speak language, you know, speak any language at that stage, aside from grunting. And, you know, but now the world's shifting. The way we communicate, even in the last few years, the world, you know, the way we communicate is totally shifted. We can talk with someone on the other side of the world, like, you know, I suppose like we're doing right now uh, via Skype. And these changes are happening everywhere with, with computers and with the internet, with some of the other technology that's coming out, whether we're talking space or 3D printing. These things, the world's starting to shift so fast and our brains literally haven't evolved in this kind of environment. So I think we're, we're wired to not understand the full potential of the, you know, the, the, the full opportunity. And because of that, I think it's useful when you think, about, all right, well, what don't, and a good question is like, what am I missing? Or what don't I know that I don't know about what's happening right now? Because we don't, even if you theoretically get it, you don't really get how fast the world's changing and how, like, where things are really going to be in three years' time, in 10 years' time. So, and I think it's really exciting when you start framing it up like that. And I think everyone can relate to this to some degree. Like, if I think back to things I was working on three years ago and what was stressing me out and what I was really focused on, it's so trivial now. Um, that I have a broader perspective. And so as things change faster and faster, at least for me, I spend more and more time making sure I see that broader perspective because, you know, you missed the forest for the trees. You know, it, it results in those moments where you look back and you're like, what was I thinking? This is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that then, the, uh, the fourth economy, because that's really where I mean, there's a lot of different books that approach this topic from different angles, whether we're talking, you know, Abundance by Peter Diamandis, The 4-Hour Workweek has its own, you know, take on you know, how, how business and work is changing. But The Fourth Economy is, a, you know, it's a really fascinating book, which is on the specific changes that we're talking about here. It is. So uh, we both read this book. Um, I read it about two years ago, and it was kind of a, it was a click moment for me because everything he was talking about theoretically I saw was going on you know, around us, around me. Um, so he lays out in the book kind of this case for economies move through different stages and they move from agricultural to industrial to knowledge to entrepreneurial and then kind of says the reason we're having all these macroeconomic problems right now and, you know, growth rate is slowed down in Europe and in the U.S. and things aren't moving is – Um, We haven't successfully made this next transition. So we haven't shifted from the knowledge economy to the entrepreneurial economy. And then if you look at, and he talks about this in like this like big macro perspective. And I looked at it and I saw it from the micro perspective, which is if you look at people that are still in 
like these traditional knowledge jobs, like this accountant I'm talking about, um, versus people that have moved into the entrepreneurial economy, like the stuff you're working on, they're getting dramatically different outcomes, right? Like you're probably not working. I mean, I think she's working 50, 60 hours a week grinding away in this accounting job. And yet you're, you know, you're getting much better outcomes than she is. Uh, and like, why, why is that? Is it like, are you that much smarter and that much harder working or are there other things at play? Mm, yeah, absolutely agree. In the sense of, like, I think even like, say, I was thinking like VC, like venture capitalists or even people who are involved in this world from 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I think even they probably don't grasp the 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 incredible opportunity and the incredible changes that are going on right now because we just don't, we just don't get it. Even when you see it from the inside and you experience it like we're doing right now, it's still really hard to understand how far, like how fast these changes are happening, and you know, where it's all going to be in a year's time, or in three years' time, or in five years' time. And it is really hard, you know. I think forecast, trying to forecast out, like you know, I talked to, um, I was laughing, I was just kind of over listening to this conversation uh, a month ago, and someone maybe in their late twenties was talking about when I'm retired at 65. And I was like, Oh God, like (laughs) you can't even imagine what the world is going to look like, uh, 10 years from now, much less 40 years from now. But I do think if you look at kind of these trends and you see where things have come, you have some notion of what's possible and what the opportunities are that you're not taking advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what are some of the risks that you're seeing that because, so all these changes that are happening, we've got the economy, like the economical problems where we've got um, you know, like Occupy Wall Street. So there's this, there's this huge wealth gap. There's things like that that are happening. But there's also, and that's, that's a very like a macro effect. Some people experience that, some people don't. But there's also risks on a very you know, micro level, changes that are happening in the world that if people don't adapt, they'll get left behind. Well, what we're seeing is, I mean, basically we're seeing the death of the middle class, right? Globalization and software are basically replacing this um, massive swath of Western society that used to be, you know, we used to call middle management, that they are either exiting down um, or they're exiting up, that either way, this like middle class and um, for the Americans listening, kind of like this idealized white picket fence notion of the middle class is disappearing. And yeah, so we see things like Occupy Wall Street. And we see, you know, we were talking before we uh, hit record about kind of this, like the glass ceiling has disappeared in terms of there's more upward mobility than ever, but the floor has disappeared too. Um, And that if you aren't um, building skills and you're not ambitious and you're not um, positioning yourself well, uh, you will fall through the floor and people are falling through the floor. Yeah, I mean, there's a good example of this is like marketing agencies where, whereby, you know, with the direct response game, everything's built off ROI because you can measure and track everything. And, you know, there's been a lot of advertising agencies out there that would never be, you know, they were never held accountable. So they'd go create a really, you know, fancy, you know, wonderful looking campaign that maybe even won awards, but they'd have no way of tracking whether it actually made a difference in terms of sales. And so they were never really held accountable for their work and therefore companies would keep paying them to do the ads because they maybe it feels like it works. And that, that stuff still does happen today. But what's happening is as technology improves, it's becoming easier and easier to weed out the, I think, the inefficiencies within, an, like a, within a system. And so what happens is anyone who's not, with any, any sort of system, if, if any, when you want to take something out of a system, something has to go back in or the system will contract. And so, you know, you've got the, you know, the economy is a, you know, is a whole system. You get the global economy is a global system and all these, you know, smaller systems where if we're all trying to take a certain amount of value out of that to have our lives and to build families and to spend money on stuff, if we don't put the same amount of value back in, 
the economy will contract. The problem, or even the opportunity in today's world, is that because, especially in business, uh, in, in our jobs, it's much easier to find out who's actually you know, put, you know, doing the work and who isn't. Because we can track all this stuff with software, or we, you know, we can analyze you know, all the data. We, we're just much better at finding out who's working and who isn't. And that means that people who are willing to work, they're going to go a long way. But the people who aren't, they're you know, out of luck. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that that's the it is it's the death of the middle class, and there's not really a more succinct way to put it than you're kind of seeing this fluff middle layer disappear. Yeah, and it's in some ways like it's uh, it's scary, and I imagine for some people with jobs, it's incredibly scary because you know as more and more software comes out and machines come out more and more jobs are going to get replaced. They're going to get offshored over to India and, say, the Philippines, but they're also just going to get replaced with software. And some people think that's a bad thing, you know, that if, you know, we should really keep these jobs in our country or we should use software to automate them. But this is just the nature of economics, right? If we can do it cheaper and faster without, you know, without paying a human, then, of course, we're going to do it that cheaper and faster. And what that does, it frees up those people to then go and create value elsewhere, which creates growth and wealth in the economy as a whole. But those people that get out of a job over there, need to go and find another way to create value or they'll, not only will they be left behind personally, but the economy as a whole will suffer. Yes, and I, I mean, I think the, it's valuable to talk about this stuff in uh, macroeconomic terms, but I think kind of the, the punchline in microeconomic terms is you look at trends, you know, and globalization and software are definitely the, the major two. Um, those are threats to people who are in jobs. If you're operating or people that are operating in this position where they're being told what to do, um, they're not creating, they're not expanding, um, they're not growing in their career, they're not moving up. Um, those are all, yeah, like if someone can do your job for, uh, you know, $4 an hour in Sri Lanka, like that job's going to disappear. Or if that job can get turned into software, that job's going to disappear. But the flip side of that is for people that are ambitious um, and are willing to work hard and are willing to develop, um, you know, kind of these valuable entrepreneurial skills. There's never been a better time to be alive than there is right now. You know, globalization has given access. You know, like I can log on to my Odesk account um, and I have access to a better labor pool than anyone else in history has ever had before. You know, I can go on and I can get, a, you know, a SaaS subscription, a software as a service subscription. Um, and I have access to technology that 10 years ago was, you know, literally um, 100 times more expensive. I remember listening to this uh, interview with Ben Horowitz of the Andreessen Horowitz venture capital firm. He was talking about when he founded one of the first um, cloud computing services, they were doing basically what Amazon Web Services does now, and they were charging a thousand times as much. You know, that was like the early 2000s. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting when you, you look at it, how things have changed like that. And I think that's where that's where this is really interesting and why, why I think this would make a great – why we uh, decided to make this a podcast was that there's never been a better time for people to get into business because it's cheaper than ever. It's easier than ever. But it also – at the same time, there's also the risks – are you can get in the game and there's less risk. You don't have to you don't have to go like, you know, mortgage your house to get a hundred thousand dollars to get into business for yourself like you may have back in the day when you wanted to you know, open a you know a dry cleaning franchise or something like that. Now it's cheaper, but by the same at the same time, all the same like there's still you, because of the technology, people are basically, you have to create the value. The value has to be there and there's no way around that. So it might be easier than ever and it might be cheaper than ever and it might be less risky than ever, but you still need to provide, to provide a valuable service and basically pay your way. 
Absolutely. But I guess the, the barriers are at this point, basically, I mean, you need, yeah, you need access to the internet. So you got to drum up a couple hundred bucks, uh, and buy a, an old laptop and get an internet connection. Um, but like once you've crossed that barrier at that point, it's basically on you, right? Like the, everything I, you know, I've, um, consulted and work with companies on online marketing and technology and all these kinds of things. And like everything I've ever learned, I basically learned from either free resources or like amazingly cheap resources on the internet. You know, like people complain about uh, $500 or $1,000 online courses saying they're expensive. And then like, you know, you drop $20,000 for a semester of college where you take <laughs> Um, you know, four classes on like English, uh, whatever, English grammar. And, and like this, this makes sense. Like if you go tell your aunt that I'm going to take out $150,000 in student loans to go get this um, liberal arts humanities degree or even like a, a marketing degree, like why would you pay $100,000 for a marketing degree? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's absurd. Like you can learn all this, like the tools are right there and the, the barrier to entry is like your willingness to go use them. Mm, I think that's an interesting side, side note there with the education because everything's online, you know, everything's you can even go, you know, go to uni courses online. You don't have to pay for the whole semester. Just do courses piecemeal as you need them. And so I think universities are facing a whole lot of pressure as well because their universities aren't, they're still relevant. And it's not that going to college is a waste of time depending on what you want to do. It's just that they're facing, you know, it's that pressure of universities no longer a golden ticket. Like it's, you don't need a degree anymore. You just need to be able to get the results. If you can get the results, you don't need a degree. But if you do have the degree, you still have to get the results. So the only thing that really matters these days the only thing that's ever really mattered is, has been results, but just today it's been it's easier than ever to measure what's actually making an impact and what isn't. Yes, it's never been easier. And it, it's easier to acquire like universities did used to matter because, you know, before the internet, like you didn't have access to these resources, right? Like, you know, you're gonna go back hundreds of years, right? Like there weren't you know, in the early days of the printing press, there were only like eight copies of each book. And so you had to go to the university because they were the only ones with the book. Hmm. But now, like, as we obviously seen that trend progress, like I can't, I don't know, the, I can't remember the exact figures, but it's something like um, every every three days, there's like more data added to the internet than there was in existence before 2000. It's like it's something absurd like that. Like that's mm. the growth rate we're on. Yeah, and then that presents its own challenge where it's easy to become entirely overwhelmed by what's going on. Well, yeah, and I think that's that's a broader trend that's like really interesting to me. Is I think. Our generation is going to be the first generation not defined by what we say yes to, but by what we say no to. Mm. Um, and if you look at, so I, I, I'm trying to remember the statistics, but uh, like in 1980, the U.S. Department of Labor, I think, released something that was like 2,000 possible career options. So like 2,000 is a big number, but you can like sit down and that, I think whatever they develop some 49 questionnaire test and you take the test. Um, and then it like tells you based on your, um, test results, what the ideal career for you is. And now, you know, we're 40 years later, not quite 40 years later, there's something like a million possible quote unquote careers. And they're not even like, you know, what you do, conversion expert, consultant conversion expert would not be listed under the half million possible careers. Like they're even more than that. Um, and so it's increasingly important to say no more often and to figure out what the things are that are worth focusing your attention on. Cause again, like, like we've been talking about, you, the individual out there, is the scarce resource. It's no longer um, capital or banks or governments. 
these aren't the things that are, you know, holding back economic growth. It's individuals. Mm, mm. I mean, one thing here is we talked about this, I think, before we, before we hit record about this idea of our generation, especially in the West, and there's, there's going to be a variation of this, but we've been relatively grown up in a relative affluence uh, compared to, you know, generations, you know, past. There's been no major wars, you know, you had the Iraq war, but no world wars or anything like that. Uh, we've had some the like a recession in uh, 2008 but like relatively speaking we've had things pretty good and i think there's a lot of people because of that's cultivated this attitude of probably a slight attitude of abundance but also this attitude where we deserve to have you know we need to follow our passion that we need to enjoy life that it's not enough to sit in a cubicle and just do a job that and that's right but that we need we deserve to go off and travel the world and find ourselves or you know wake up every day and be totally excited and have this amazing life that we're totally thrilled to have and Whatever it is that we want, we think that we almost deserve to have it. We're entitled to it, which I think comes from partly this generation, this internet generation uh, of people who have grown up with the internet of thinking that you know that's what life's about. That's the secret to life. But what actually happens, and we talked about this book, um, Cal Newport, called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And he, uh, he's got some really fascinating stories in there. He mentions guys like Steve Jobs. Or a lot of the people that we look at and we think, well, they have a great life. They have a great company. They you know, probably wake up in the morning and they're passionate. They're, you know, like they're the epitome of someone who's doing great things with their life and they look like they really enjoy it. But if you look at the path that these people take to get to where they are now, well, pretty much none of them followed their passion, so to speak. What they did instead was they probably did some exploring. They might have traveled around. I mean, Steve Jobs did some. He went to an ashram in India. But at the end of the day, it became down. They, they really had to get good at something. It wasn't about having fun. It wasn't about following their passion so much. Those things do play a part. But even with this, so like even despite all this stuff that we're t- we've talked about here with the economy and how you, you, know, you can start a business, you can do all these things, the, fun, the, the, the foundation of this has to be skill and value. You have to be able to add skill and value for this to work for you. Yeah, I think... Um it's tricky because in a lot of ways, some of the language hasn't evolved around this. Like passion is uh, like this very nebulous word at this point. Like people, people throw it out like you must be passionate or like if you're passionate, you're, you're screwed and it will never work. Um, and it's like, it's kind of like a lost all meaning at this point. Like I'm not even sure what passion in the context most people use it even means. Um, but like the punchline I got, I haven't read Cal's book, but I, I have read a lot of his articles over the years is there's no shortcut for doing the work. Like at the end of the day, you got to sit down and do the work. Mm, yeah. And for the people that are willing to do the work, you know, we're living in a time of the greatest opportunity in human history. The tools of production to create whatever it is you want to create are, you know, quite literally at your fingertips. I mean, they're on the keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, at the same time as well, like as, alongside that, uh, like there's no way around doing the work. There's also no way around the fact that you have to change and that like someone who sits there and goes well like back in the you know the you know 1900s for example like change was more a lot more static than it is now it didn't happen that fast so you could expect to you know i think my grandpa probably finished school went to university and then worked at the bank for the next 45 years until he retired and that's and that's just not you know a lot of us know this it's not going to happen but really there needs to be this alongside this idea of well i'm going to work and i'm going to you know put in the effort there needs to be this willingness to think like you're not trying to get somewhere and then be like, all right, I've made it now. Now I can just do this for the rest of my life. The goal is really to embrace this ongoing growth, this ongoing change where you're always learning, always getting better, always trying to figure out how to do, add more value. Well, it's, 
20 cents. Yeah. It's like, you're going to embrace it, but you, you don't really have a choice. Like if you, if you want to, like the point, the, the time where you could get to a point, I remember reading this article about some guy was working, I think in like the, the post office in Germany. And he basically wrote this article after he retired at 65, where he was like, for the last 20 years, um, I basically did nothing. I like pushed papers across the desk for 20 years and just showed up. And that's not really going to be feasible over the next 20 years. Yeah. Like if you just push papers across the desk, they can get someone to do that for cheaper because those papers are going to be digital or they can get software to do it for, I mean, next to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that's part of it is it's like where the, the human naturally, like, you know, how we've evolved, we, we've evolved, you know, we don't want to spend energy. Spending energy is a survival mechanism. We need to conserve our energy. And so that's why a lot of us, we like to get stuck in that, you know, we like to get into the routine and you know, learn something and then not have to keep learning, you know, because then we can just relax. We don't have to think about it too much. We just do our thing. But that's not, that's not enough anymore. And that's whether you like it or not, it might be a bad thing. It might be a good thing. But whether you like it or not, that's just the way it is. Well, I think most people that once you kind of like make that switch, it's kind of addictive. Like once you get into this cycle of like learning and growing, you know, I meet very few people who have like gone through that. are like, yeah, I just kind of want to go back to like being boring and not really doing anything. <laughs> That's true. When you when you put it like that, it's like, would you rather be a boring and do the same, you know, boring person who do the same thing for the next forty years, or would you rather embrace change and embrace excitement, embrace adventure? Yeah, this is a tangent that probably isn't worth going down. But um, <laughs> I'm always fascinated by like this. If you notice, the people that are like obsessed with the idea of passive income are the people that have like never actively made any entrepreneurial income. Mm. It's like no one's ever like running and growing a successful business, and they're like, "Yeah, I just, I just want to like wake up in the morning um, and do nothing and have passive income and like never work on any interesting projects for the rest of my life." Um, it's always someone that's like in a job they hate, right? Because they just want to think, "I don't want to work in this freaking job anymore." But what is rewarding? Yes. It's being able to get up and, and work on things that are meaningful and important and add value. Yeah. And the other thing there is uh, hustle. Like hustle means where people get on Facebook or on Twitter and be like, oh, yeah, I'm every day. Or I picture them on their laptop. Every day I'm hustling. And there's this religion. It's almost like a bit of a culture, a bit of a religion now around, around entrepreneurship. And uh, everyone's like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a conscious creator and a badass, different things like this. Well, we all have these names we call ourselves and these, I guess, this image we try to project about the hustler thing and it's there's this thing where you know i've noticed it's the same thing where you talk about like the passive income thing where the people who are usually talking about hustling all the time aren't usually the ones who are really hustling yeah i, I uh i think of the steve jobs real artist ship like real hustler ship yeah yeah so it's like don't you know i mean that's one piece of advice is don't get caught up trying to project the image that you're an entrepreneur or that you're a hustler or that you want passive income just go and just get to work don't try and make it sexy just go and do the work yeah mm. there's no shortcut for the work yeah, cool. So we're coming up to the time there. We've got a few minutes left, though. So let's talk about, uh, we mentioned actionable. What can we give the listener so that they've listened to this and they're, they're going to walk away with something they can actually do? So yeah, actually, I want to talk about this. I know your story pretty well. Um, and I suspect many of the listeners know your story pretty well. But I'd kind of be curious to walk you through your story, um, kind of through a couple of different frameworks. Then I flesh these out more in the book. Um, but we saw over the course of the 20th century, right, people kind of evolve paths into um, into jobs, right? Like you go to college, you can get a good job. Um, but that wasn't really always the case. Like 200 years ago, the only people that went to college were 
like very wealthy aristocrats. It wasn't like a smart economic decision. It was something you did because it was a luxury you could afford to do. Yeah. Um, and so we're kind of seeing the same thing happen now. And so like I look at you um, and you started out and you were working in the Philippines at the Bad Lads Resort. Um, and you kind of had this like apprenticeship type position. Um, and this is one of the social scripts that we're seeing emerge, which is um, you go and you work for someone that has a successful business um, and you use their business kind of as a testing grounds and building grounds for your skill. So, you know, I, I'll probably let you tell the story, but how did, what was your like early, I'm going to switch on to interviewer mode here, but uh, <laughs> Flip the tables. Um, yeah, like you went through this apprenticeship position at Bad Lads and you were able to build your skill set, not by going to college, but by sitting in an existing business and using that business and the community that you connected to through that business to build a rare and valuable skill set. Mm, so you're asking how did it happen? How did it come together? Yeah. Um, I think it's like how, how it happened. So less important, I think, than that is, is what I guess the attitude I had going into it, which was, you know, when I was in Sydney, I'd, so I grew up in Sydney and I'd been to, in 2011, I'd been to Nepal for four months, came back from Nepal and probably had a bit of reverse culture shock, but I knew that I didn't want to, you know, I, I knew what, I dropped out of high school and, you know, the reason was I didn't want to go to university. I saw this normal path that everyone was taking and I looked at most people and I didn't think most people seemed anyway to me that they were that happy. This whole idea of do what you're told, kind of stay in line, just follow the, the standard script, it didn't really seem... I don't know. It just didn't excite me. It didn't get my didn't get my you know blood pumping, my adrenaline pumping. So I knew I didn't want that. And I think for a while I knew more about what I didn't want than you know what I actually did want. And then so when I went to the came when this opportunity came up to go to the Philippines, I bought a I'd done a little bit of work online. I was made a couple hundred dollars a month with a you know some advertising on a website, but. I still I still needed to have a job, so I def, definitely was not free, and I'd never made much money at all in my life. So I went to the Philippines, and I remember I bought a one-way ticket, and my I didn't know how it was going to happen, but it was I guess it was a ballsy move, similar to, to what we'll, uh, we'll talk about NECA uh, before this call. But so I guess it's a similar similar idea to that. We're just going, look, I'm going to buy a one-way ticket to the Philippines, and I'm going to make it work. I, I think I figured that worst-case scenarios in four months' time, I'm going to be borrowing money off my mum to come home, and so. That was the attitude I had going into it. I think that was the attitude that was a big part of why why it worked for me. It was not I'll tell you what happened in a minute, but like that was it was that attitude of like I'm doing this or I'm gonna like I'm gonna go borrow money if I want to get home. So like it was do or die, backs against the wall, let's make this happen. Um, so as for what actually did happen, I get to the Philippines, the week after I arrived, my website that made I think four hundred dollars a month online got smacked by Google, by Google update, went you know, got wiped out, so no more income there. I started some affiliate marketing, got banned from Google AdWords, started a dating site, and uh, that failed. Uh, did, we didn't make one, didn't get one sign up, and then eventually started writing, realized I knew, needed to learn how to sell, because if I knew how to sell, then I could make money for my own business and help other people, and then I'd never, that was a realization, realizing that if I knew how to sell stuff, I'd have one of the most valuable skill sets on the planet, because everyone always needs salespeople and marketers, good ones. So I, I think I started, there was that mindset shift there of this craftsman, like I'm not just going to, I'm not looking for my passion here, I'm just looking, I just knew that if I could get really, really good at marketing and selling, I could write my own ticket. You know, I could go into any business or my own business and make as much money as I need to live. I'd have that sense of control and it's not like that sort of skill, isn't, you're not going to, it's very hard to outsource sales to, to say the Philippines or to you know India or something like that. It's very hard to outsource customer service and customer service fairly, you know, is pretty standard. So 
yeah, there was a few of those realizations of like, I'm doing this no matter what, you know, was number one. The number two was realizing that, you know, understanding sales and marketing would give me a huge, uh, a huge advantage over, you know, a few, a huge um, selling point or a good way for me to add value to the rest of the world. And then it was just a case of putting the pieces together over time. And looking back, we talked about Steve Jobs mentions how, you know, it's easy to connect the dots looking back. But at the, living through it at the time, I was just doing whatever I could. I was latching onto whatever opportunities came my way and hustling. <laughs> To get back to that idea, hustling my way, or you know, through things. So, yeah, does that make sense? It does. And what's impressive about that, and what I think the opportunity is there, is you put yourself in that position, right? Like you found a community of people that were doing online marketing and sales, um, and you started just like aggressively learning from them and implement and implementing and hustling um, based on what you learn. And like that opportunity has never been around before. But you can go do that. Like you can go find companies which um like you said everyone needs good marketing and salespeople, and put yourself in kind of an apprenticeship type position and then you know i think the other part of your story that's interesting is kind of this stair step aspect which is in the past entrepreneurship was sort of an all-or-nothing affair right like you got like mortgage your house and you got to go open up a retail store on main street because if you want to sell something you got to have retail space and like you know the rise of the internet um, means you, you were able to put together this $400 website, which got Google slapped and um, everything else. But you probably learned a lot about how do you set up a WordPress site and how does online marketing work? Um, and you can learn those lessons for really cheap now compared to what it would have cost 20 years ago. Yeah, that's re- that's a really good point. So yeah, it's not like I had to go and take out a big loan with the bank to make this happen. I just went to the Philippines. And the worst case scenario was that I was going to have to borrow money off my mum to you know buy a ticket home, mum or dad or someone, just to get home to Australia. But yeah, and I think people put these like big barriers in their mind, like oh, I could you know, I could never go start a business, or I could never take my business to the next level because it feels kind of so. It feels so daunting, like it's such a big step. But the reality is it's cheaper than it's ever been. It's more accessible than it's ever been. And it's getting more accessible. Um, And that, you know, revolutions don't last forever. Like something something will change in the economy and this won't be going on forever. But at least right now, um, that is true. It is more accessible than it's ever been. Yeah, and I think it's 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 also that rising tide because it's changing quickly and uh, you know the market's expanding. Like people talk about, oh, let's say internet marketing. You don't want to sell internet marketing products because the market's tiny. And while that's true in some ways when you compare it to you know offline markets or you know non-internet marketing, I'm not really in the internet marketing field uh, specifically, like some people are. But if you think about it, like this, people talk about like uh, like Aweber for example. They sell to a lot of marketers. And it's like, well, they're not very big. You know, I think they're gonna. You know, they've got quite a few customers, but at the end of the day, they're not like a global, huge, you know, corporation. But if you look at the amount of people that are coming online, like this is just growing and growing. And there's no reason why any of this growth would stop, especially when you've got three, I think it's three billion people coming online over the next few years through, you know, India and China and all those things. All those people are going to need products and services and companies that are going to help them. And so this whole opportunity is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And there may, there may be a point where it stops. I like to think that it, it should just keep growing. We will run out of people eventually, but things will keep getting automated and there'll be new opportunities and new horizons that come out. But yeah, I think I think a big part of it is like people overestimate that risk. I, I remember I listened to, I was watching an interview, listening, no, I think I read an interview with Elon Musk. He mentioned this, so he talked about how, you know, most people think it's far too risky to start a business. But at the end of the day, if you're young and you've got no kids and no family, like no wife or, or husband, what's really the risk? Like if you go and make a big swing and go try and make a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars and you fail and you what have to go and get a job at mcdonald's or something what's the big deal 
You're still going to have food, water, shelter. Even if you went homeless, I bet you could probably find a, you know, you could probably catch a bus to a warm state and sleep in the park or something and you'd be fine. Like, you're not going to die. There's going to be, like, you know, a food truck somewhere you can go and get some food. You can, there's always going to be a way. It's not like we, the threat to our survival is very, very, very little. And we were talking about this before the call, but, um, you know, two things you said that I thought were interesting is one is like, it's useful to go through these worst case scenarios. And like, I did, I do it all the time too. Like you imagine like what would happen, everything crashed and you realize it's not that bad. Um, but it's interesting. I have a friend, I went to college with him. He kind of like saw what I was doing. Um, it was kind of curious. And then like, you know, I'd come back and I'd visit him and we'd talk. Um, and then he quit his job a year and a half ago to start a company. And he's been running the company for a year and a half. Um, and it's kind of starting to take off. Um, but we were talking like even when he was a year in and he was in the dip and things were going kind of rough, he was like, I'm so glad I did this because like worst case scenario is like now I have all these like valuable skills. He was an accountant. He did like in-house accounting um, at this big oil company in Alabama. Um, and like he had no marketable skills. Like if that company went out of business or they outsourced their accounting, he was toast. Yeah. But not like, you know. Now he, he understands online marketing and he understands how to manage relationships with vendors. And like he has all these super valuable skills that, like you said, um, is a rising tide. And I think it's easy. I know I catch myself all the time. Like you forget how long this stuff takes. I'm reading uh, The House of Morgan right now. It's the J.P. Morgan biography kind of like talks about all his whole family. Yeah. And one thing that's really interesting is like I think late 1890s or like start of the 1900s, they basically like turn over this section of, uh, and I'm, I think I think it was mergers and acquisitions. I can't remember exactly, but they turn it over to Goldman Sachs because um, Goldman Sachs is this like little bank that no one's ever heard about, and like who cares? Um, you know, these guys will never do anything. Hmm. Uh, and you know, it took uh, maybe 80, 80 years. Nineteen eighties was kind of think when Goldman Sachs kind of like came to the forefront, but like that ended up being a really expensive mistake. And those, you know, I think Borders has a similar story. I, I remember reading the report, like in 2001, Borders turned over online bookstores to Amazon because I think it was non-strategic was the word they used. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like in 2001, it didn't seem strategic, but you know, not so much anymore. Mm, yeah. So it's, it's funny too, when you think about it like that, those executives and CEOs really switched on people who are making these exact same mistakes. This isn't something that just beginners make. This is something that everyone everywhere is struggling to adjust to, which means if you're smart enough or switched on enough or at least willing to stomach the, the, uh, the incredible risk of maybe going and having to get a job um, if you, in the case you fail, <laughs> if you, you know, there's huge rewards here. I think to go back to our accountant example is um – you know, a rising tide raises all ships. Mm. It's, you know, it's almost always true that you're better off playing the right game than being a good player in the wrong game. And so that's, that's what I lay out in the book is why entrepreneurship is, like you said, it's the best time ever to become an entrepreneur. And then, you know, we talked about some of the paths into how can you get into that or how can you accelerate that if you're already in it. Mm. Very cool. Okay, well let's 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 end there because I think we're going a little bit over here. So better to be in, I like that I like that day. It's better to be in the you know a bad player in the right game than a good player in the wrong game, right? That was what you said. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, I like that. I like that. So I guess the takeaway here, the big biggest takeaway is get in the right game. 
And that's get it. in the right game. Get in, get your head in the right game. Yeah, for sure. So, if people want to learn more about you, or email you, or uh, looking at this book, where's the best place for them to do? So the best place to check it out is taylorpearson.me. Uh, it's T-A-Y-L-O-R-P-E-A-R-S-O-N. Um, and then I'm going to be giving away when this goes live. I'm going to be giving away 67 of my favorite business books. These are the books I've read over the last three or four years. A lot of them are research for my book. So if you want to enter to win, you can check that out. That'll be on the site. I think it's uh, $1,314 worth of books. So that'll keep you busy reading for a while. Um, and then the book is called The End of Jobs. It'll be on Amazon. Thanks for coming on the show. I'll have links to all that on the show notes. Uh, awesome. Thank Thanks you. for having me on the show, John. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast, sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. You'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more.